In today's show, we look at players who are overperforming, players who are underperforming in the buy low, sell high show. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore beeble, on TikTok at redrock underscore beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanjul Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanjul.com slash locked on today to get started. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Quick couple of announcements. Hey, let's get to 60,000 subs here on YouTube. We are like 750 away. I would love it if we can get there before the All-Star break. Second piece of information, live trade deadline show. 1.30 p.m. Eastern, Thursday, February the 9th. I'll be going for, I don't know, two hours or so, discussing everything that's going on, answering your questions. And then the structure for that day, which again, we're still two weeks away. Then after we do that, then I'll sit down, I'll go through and do all my projections and do that. Then we'll do another show recapping in further detail rather than a live react. So there'll be two big trade deadline shows. You have the live show, which again, I highly encourage you all to come to. I want to smash viewership records for that show. And then we'll have um, a full recap show later in that day. But you can see it on YouTube. It's there. You can already go and give it like a thumbs up, a preemptive thumbs up to get it into more people's faces. So we make this the best pre-game or pre uh best live trade deadline show that exists, fantasy or real life. And we get out there and we and we talk about all the stuff that happens in my usual um, eclectic manner. Let's do buy lows and sell highs. Do you want me to explain what they are? A buy low does not mean you have to get this player. It means it does not mean you buy at market or you at, at perceived long-term value. It means if someone's panicking, you get them at a cheap price. A sell high does not mean you must dump this player. It doesn't mean you drop them to the waiver wire. It means that if someone gives you overvalue, now's a good time to cash in. In general, I'm not usually going to include buy lows as players who aren't playing because you know there's so much like, is Carl Anthony Towns a buy low? Is Anthony Davis a buy low? Like, of course, they're not playing, but it's also a pretty big risk to get zeros. Davis, maybe not so much considering he's coming back. So I don't usually include those players um, on my list. So when person, hey, is Towns a buy low? Like, sure, but that's only really specific for certain people because the, the, the long-term absence of him... Um, yeah, you know, makes it really tough to win in the interim. And you've got to have very specific situations on your team. I hope all that makes sense of what I'm trying to talk about there. So uh, as we usually do, Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> all right, let's go back to this show two weeks ago when we did it in week 13 and have a look at the recap. I think the recap and the, the buy lows and sell highs of week 13 turned out pretty good. In terms of buy lows, we had Jaden Ivey. He was 259th. He's 112th since then. Do I fully believe that he is a must-roster player? I don't. But the role and the minutes are relatively secure between 28 to 32 minutes a night. We hope there'll be some increase in efficiency. I don't bank on it. But he's okay to have without being a must-roster. In fact, you know, if he on your waiver wire, I wouldn't scurry to get him. But there's some, there's is improvement, and we, we saw that. Jalen Green has gone from 181st to 98th, despite that 10-point game in the middle of that against the Wolves. He's had two 40-pointers. 
Green's value, despite being shit on by me and by a lot of people for how badly he has played at times this season in a punt field goal situation, which you probably have to be in. He's like 80th this season. Like, so it's not that bad. The problem is he just hasn't taken any steps forward. I thought he'd be able to move away from that extreme punt and be able to generate more, some more defensive stats, but more importantly, some more assists and just overall increase the efficiency, and he has not. And that's the concern with him. But again, if you are in a punt field goal position, he's okay. And that 98th ranking over the last two weeks is not punting field goals. So he's a lot better in that situation. So Green was able to step up. Lillard was 53rd. He's second since then. Is that pushing towards a sell high? Yeah, like if someone wants to give you a top three player back, maybe a top five player who is struggling a little bit with some shooting, Luka Doncic, then yeah, I would make that deal. But Lillard's flying at the moment. So hopefully you bought low on him. Evan Mobley was 119th. He's 51st since then. That's yeah, that's on the borderline of a little bit high. It has helped that Mitchell's been out and bumping some of his numbers up. And then his teammate Darius Garland was 108th and he's up to 34th. 34th, I think, is about the right spot for Garland. So there was, there's always obvious indicators when you know where to look as to why players are struggling. And we always talk about this on, on this show. And that's one of the main takeaways, I think, from this show is looking for indicators, not looking at rank. Because people will... Well, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later on. But people love focusing on a rank number and telling you, well, this is why this is going to happen because look at this rank and look at this time frame and all that sort of stuff. But understanding indicators behind trends, I think is really important. We're not always going to get it right, but we are a lot of the time. On the sell high so show, we had a side of it. We had Tom Bryant. He was 26th. I said, even before Anthony Davis comes back, this is not going to stick. Well, he's 124th since then. Davis is returning this week. Your sell high window obviously slammed shut. And when we talked about him, we said, hey, you've got to do it now to get some value back in a trade, understanding that you're probably going to lose the trade in the interim. Well, you maybe didn't even lose it that much. Hopefully you did it. Killian Hayes was 33rd. I got into a lot of arguments with people like this one. He's 160th since then. The reality lies somewhere in the middle. The shooting that he was putting up was completely unrealistic and it was very obviously unrealistic. And, that, and now we've seen him just fall way off with the shooting and that will bounce back and he'll be a must-roster player. This is not to say that he's not must-roster, but that number was impossible. Mason Plumlee didn't really change much the cockroach. 39th, he's now 47th. I don't actually remember what I said about Plumlee here. I feel, feel I might have said, yes, like we're selling high now in advance of the trade deadline, but I might not have said that. So I don't mind that he hasn't dropped that far. I still think he is going to drop off here. And you've got a little bit of a sell high window still open, but of course it's the Hornets. They might not do anything and they might roll with him and continue to play him 30 plus minutes, which of course is idiotic, but we'll see what they do. Vanner Pants was 46th. He's moved down to 139th. Kevin Herter. He's been on these lists so many times because he has his hot streaks and he has his cold streaks and he's all over the shop. And that's what happens with him. You get 50% three-point shooting runs and then 29% shooting runs where he plays 24 minutes a night. It's all over the place. And then the last one was the Bronco. Jalen Williams. Broncos country, let's ride. And he did sort of exactly what we thought. He was 48th and now he's 103rd since then. 103rd to 123rd is probably a realistic rest of season outlook for Jalen Williams. And, you know, if you were able to get something back in a trade, congratulations. It was probably a good trade for you. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio. 
The NFL playoffs are here, and we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sportsbook in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers, join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads and player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. If we have a look at some of the games for today in the NBA, what games do we like here? The Nuggets are only one-point favorites against the Pelicans. I'm going to assume that FanDuel here is thinking that Jokic is out because one-point underdogs against a Pelicans team with no Ingram Zion is a small amount. That's interesting. Nuggets one-point favorites. And by the time of me recording this, I haven't heard whether um, whether Jokic is out or not. Huh. It's all on an app with FanDuel that's safe. It's secure and super easy to use. So don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanjul.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with Fanjul, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Let's move into the buy lows. Let's start with um, this guy. So a lot of my buy lows and sell highs are based on numbers as we we, detail here. Some of it is based on vibes and about me trying to take in as much fantasy information as I can through social media sites, through Basketball Monster, through the Fantasy Basketball subreddit, through wherever I can to get general vibes of the way people talk about guys. And people are frustrated. Man, I thought Rob Williams. I thought he would have been great by now. Okay. Like, it was always a risk to take him at that point um, in, a, in a draft because you know, knee injury and coming back. But it's really turning into a situation where the people that got him we're like three, four weeks into his return. I like, um, what's 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 the big deal with this guy? What's exciting? What's interesting? And, and I get it. The numbers aren't great. 121st in category leagues, 134th in points leagues. He's averaging just 24 fantasy points for the season. He's at 20, like 24.7 for the last two weeks versus 25 for the season. Those numbers don't matter that much. What we're looking at here is taking advantage of a panic. He's played 15 games for the season. He's averaging just 22 minutes. But even over the last five, he's up to 25 minutes a game. There are going to be rests for him. There's no no question about that. He is going to sit out games. But this is a great opportunity to get in on the ground floor of Rob Williams because last season, he shot 74% from two. The season before that, he shot 73% from two. The season before that, guess what he shot from two? 73%. This season, or these last little five games where the minutes have ramped up and people are going, now it's happening. And his actual numbers have gone backwards. He's at 65%, which is still a great number. But it has a big impact. When you don't score many points, like Rob Williams, he averaged, despite you know, everyone frothing him as a first-round, second-round player last season, he averaged 10 points a game, which we know puts you into a punt points type situation. But the reason he was even able to get to 10, because he just doesn't shoot it that much, is because he shot 74% from the field. So if you go from 74 down to 65 or 66, then that's an extra point or so off that already mediocre scoring number. So it does make a big deal. It's a big difference. Also, where are the blocks? Blocks? Anyone? Blocks? Is it 2.2 last season? Over the last five games, he's had four blocks. It's not enough. That's 0.8 blocks a game. And his free throws which weren't great, but they were 72%. Well, he's hit 50% over the last five games. It's, that's, that's not good enough. Right? It's two out of four over the last five games. He's at 69 for the season. I still really do believe that there's going to be big steps forward here for Rob Williams. But the general consensus around him is that people are ready to even consider dropping. You do not have to give up hardly anything to get Rob Williams. Again, 
understand what he does. Ranking is not all important. He was ranked 30th in your league last season. He is not that level of player. He is a very specific sort of guy who fits a sort of specific build. He gives you blocks, rebounds, field goal percentage in big numbers. You never get points or threes. You get below average assists, which are not terrible. You get below average steals and you get below average free throws. He is a very specific player. Right? Ranking numbers can skew you. It's all right when people will come out and tell me that Giannis is the 100th best player this season. He isn't. Right? They skew things a lot. So understand what you're getting here. Understand if you if you do have him, if you're one of the people on the other side of this, that there's significant room to improve here rather than a ranking number. But you can probably get him for quite a cheap price at the moment. With the back-to-back rests, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you could get him almost as a you know, for a top 110 player. I wouldn't be surprised where I still think there's top 40, top 50 upside potentially coming with the strength in those certain categories. The next one. Bit of a slump for Tyler Hero at the moment. 120th over the last two weeks, 93rd in points leagues, averaging 29 fantasy points versus almost 36 for the season. So is it obvious what's happening? Like, yeah, it is. He's shooting 19% from three. All right, so why we can look at this and go, man, why Tyler Hero can't hit threes? We look. Your immediate reaction should be, that's pretty annoying and it hurt in this weekly matchup, but I know 100% this is not going to stay like this. It just isn't. He's not a 19% three-point shooter. Nobody is. That's any sort of level of NBA player. He isn't. This is going to turn around. He's at 37% for the season. It's been a little rough run here for Tyler. There's no question about that. And it drops everything down. When um, yeah, 50% of your shots are coming from three and you're hitting them at 18%, your field goal percentage drags down. When your game is made up by hitting over three threes a game and you're hitting 1.3 a game, which is where he is, 1.3 triples versus 3.1 for the season, then your fantasy value drops way off there. You go from a big positive in threes to an actual negative in threes. And then, of course, three-pointers, what do they impact? Your overall scoring. He's a 21-point-per-game scorer this season, but over the last four games, he's averaging 18. He's also playing only 30 minutes over those four games. Now, do I look at Tyler Hero, who's the 41st ranked player for the season, and go, is he the 41st ranked guy moving forward? I actually wouldn't be surprised. Nothing about what he's done over that time. 21 points on 26 usage, not a high number. Six rebounds, that maybe comes down. Four and a half assists, totally okay. 0.9 steals, sure. 45 and 92 as his percentages. Why can't he do it? Hitting 37% of his threes. Why can't he do any of that stuff? So... What he is, the last little bit of time is a big blip. It's a big drop off. But I would probably view him at the very worst as a top 60 player. And if this struggle, which has got, look, even over the last month, he's 75th. If I can get him for a guy where people may have valued him in the past, 80th, 90th best player, yeah, I do it. I have I execute that at this point. John Morant, always a weird category league player because he's significantly overvalued all the time. Um, and I, I don't always include him. I have included him a few times, but I don't always include him on this because often his points league numbers don't change, but they have. So he is on this. He's 85th in category leagues over the last two weeks, 32nd in points leagues. He's normally a top 15 points league player. His numbers, he's four fantasy points fewer over the last two weeks. And that is worth investigating. We know the category league stuff. He gets drafted in the second round. He's barely a top 50 guy. Like he's 48th this season. Things are dropping off. So what's happening? Why are the numbers down? Well, he can't rebound anymore. That's a big one. He's at 5.6 for the season. 3.3 over the last six games. 3.9 over the last 13 games. Why? Why is that happening? 
Is there been a significant change in the way that they're playing their game? Is Desmond Bain stealing rebounds? I don't really know what it is. Like he was 5.7 rebounds last season. So I think there should be a bounce back, but I'm a little worried. Never been a big steals guy, but half a steal is putrid. And that's what he's averaged over the last six. He's at one for the season. We know he's a below average steals player. Actually, that's not true. Average for steals this year is 0.9. So he's a little bit above. But 0.5, steals is one is such a big variable category. Because it's so low volume that going from like 0.7 to 0.6, which is not a big difference, can drop you 5, 10 spots. You go from 16.7 points to 16.6 points, you don't move at all. It doesn't change. But we're talking in such small decimals. And of course, you can't get a half a steal or 0.2 of a steal or 0.1 of a steal in a game. So it's like, hey, one steal, two steals, zero steals, zero steals, five steals. And the numbers go all over the shop. So he's had a little bit of a poor run here. And he's never going to be a good steals guy, but he's doubly as good as this. And everything else is sort of on par. He's only playing 31 minutes. He's averaging 27 points. He's averaging seven and a half assists. He's shooting 47 from the field. He's shooting 75 from the line. This is all normal stuff. He just, rebounds are almost cut in half and steals are cut in half. And that has caused a significant drop. And that, that's it, really. That's, that's the thing. That's the reason. Let's go to another point guard. And this one is for a couple of reasons. Lamelo Ball is dealing with this ankle problem. He's allegedly questionable. He's not allegedly. He's actually questionable, listed questionable for today's game, for Tuesday's game. Does that mean he's going to play? I don't know. I'm shocked he wasn't out for three, four weeks. But they're not ruling him that way, so it looks like he's coming back. But the general narrative that people love, and I, I urge people who listen to this show this, please don't make your first thought process be either, well, they're shutting down, or they're blowing it up and rebuilding. Because that happens so infrequently that we all work ourselves into a lather about it because we think that this is the best way to go, ignoring, um, I say we, as in not even including me or including majority of you, just as a general concept. We think this is the way it's going to go, ignoring people and financial incentives and business incentives and fans and ticket buying incentives. We don't think of any of that. Well, another ball, you know, like um, uh, scratch his dick with a long fingernail. Ah, oh, shut him down. Like we're not going anywhere anyway. You know what they're not doing even when Lamelo Ball plays? Winning. Doesn't matter. But that narrative's out there. You know, when he was listed doubtful, I was annoyed. Like, how long are they going to list him doubtful for? Multiple people. Nah, he's done. His season's over. He's not coming back. They're they're tanking for Wemby, right? So find the people who are doomers in that regard, who are just completely oblivious to the realities of the NBA's uh, landscape who believe that guys are just out indefinitely for fake reasons and all, and it happens all the time. But uh, apart from all that, he's also not playing that well over the last little bit of time. He's 63rd over the last two weeks and 38th in points leagues. But he was a first round sort of player who I did back off and put him at the start of the second round when he had that preseason ankle injury. That's That pushed him back to me. Still, I've been off on him. Like he's He's not like, he hasn't produced at that level so far. He's 29th overall for the season. But it's a little bit of a poor run here. Averaging three fantasy points fewer per game. He's actually, and I looked at these numbers and I said, okay, over the last six, last five games, he's 63rd. So what is it? Like what's dropped off? He's three-pointers. He's averaging 3.2. I go, wow, that's actually still really good. And he's hitting four for the year. Four threes per game for the season. And I go, well, there's no way that that's real. He can't possibly hit four threes per game. So I go and have a look at his shooting and he's shooting 37%. I go, oh, why can't he shoot four threes a game? That's not an unrealistic number. So what's happened there? Like the 3.2 threes versus 
four threes is a significant difference and it's impacted his numbers. Also, and I don't know if this is because they're playing the cockroach and he's grabbing every rebound, but LaMelo's rebounds are way down. Six as a rookie, 6.7 year two, 4.2 over the last five games. That's a big deal. Much like Ja Morant, we don't think about it for guards and how it impacts their overall ranking and production and fantasy points, but it's a big deal here. Going from almost seven last season to 4.2 is a big deal. It drops a lot. And I'm, I am not convinced he gets back to the same rebounds that he had last season because of Plumlee, but at least hitting five and a half, I think should be reasonable. But again, people who just think that Lamelo is going to get shut down at any point, who's going to think he's going to take six weeks off at a time, um, paired that with recent production, you can probably get a guy who literally might be a top 20 guy in fantasy playoffs for not very much at all. As soon as he comes back and plays, the value the, the value you can extract in a trade drops, but there's value there still. All right, I feel like I'm talking too much, but that's fine. We'll just do a bit of a longer show. But what about Scarves? OG. Stop, ones. OG. Uh, you better stop, OG. Yeah, you probably should stop because it's a little bit of a rough run here for Ananobi, who has been a massive surprise this season. 38th ranked player. I don't believe that's got any chance of sticking as we move forward. I think he's more top 50, top 60. But over the last two weeks, it's been really bad, and now he's dealing with an ankle injury. Although, he is returning for Wednesday, so good news there. 132nd in category leagues, 131st in points leagues. He's averaging under 25 fantasy points versus 34 for the season. So something major is going on. What is it? Well, he can't hit any twos. It is the most glaringly obvious thing that he's going to improve. He's at 52 for the season. Last season, he was at 51. The year before that, he was at 56. The year before that, he was at 58. So while the numbers are coming down... That's that's okay. Like 41% from two is not something that we expect to continue. He has been dropping off in that area. And if he was a 48% two-point guy, I wouldn't be particularly surprised. But 41, I would be. Also, what does he get by on? Big steals. What is he averaging over the last two weeks? 1.1. Not going to cut it. Now, 2.1 steals are very hard to rely upon that as an everyday level of production, which he's done all season, which is why he has been top 40 and why I don't believe he will stay top 40 because it's very hard to rely upon someone getting two steals per game. But 1.1 is on the low side. That'll definitely push back up. And then he's not really scoring. 13.3 points versus 17.4. Usage has dropped 2.7 percentage points. They're focusing more on Gary Trent for some reason, but it's also hurting that he's going at 70% from the line instead of 83, 42 from the field instead of 46. And... Um, you're seeing usage drop and playing only 33 minutes a night. So there's so many obvious things, two-point percentage, free throw percentage, overall field goal percentage, usage, minutes, steals. All of those things can just come back to a reasonable number and he jumps up 50 spots straight away, if not more, maybe 60. It's a very easy buy low. Don't view him as a top 40 player. Do not, you will come unstuck. Look at him and try and get him for a top 80 guy. A top 90 guy, understand there's four to five very easy things that can be changed and can be fixed very quickly to bump his value back up. Let's look at sell highs. We'll go to Drew Holiday in Milwaukee. Numerous reasons for this, and it's some of it is, well, Giannis and Chris Middleton are coming back, or are back. So there's your number one reason. But then he did the thing where when he was tasked with larger usage, he actually outperformed reasonable expectations in that time anyway. He's averaging 46 fantasy points versus 39 for the season. And again, as I say this all the time, it's like the, it's the triple whammy thing. You're given the extra opportunity of more minutes, 35 a game, more usage, 29 versus 26 for the season. 
And then he responds by hitting 62% of his twos, a full 10 percentage points higher than what he's done for the course of the season. It's, a, it's the opposite of the way that a lot of people tend to think. Well, as soon as he gets more responsibility, he'll shoot worse, right? That's the idea that gets buried into people's head. I want you to always remove that idea because that relationship is usually not linear at all. It's all over the place. And then that leads to situations like this where Holiday goes crazy when players are out and he doubles the crazy by shooting at a number that's completely unsustainable when your logic would have told you that he would have shot worse because he'd have more responsibility and more defensive attention drawn towards him. And it literally isn't the case. But that's enabled him for the people who look at rankings and go, shit, he's 12th. 12th. Player rate says he's 12th. Okay. And he's 18th in points leagues. Okay. This is just not going to stay. And the assists... Well, who else was getting assists? Bobby Portis? Pat Connaughton? No. Giannis and Middleton return, they're going to get assists. So he's at 8.7 over the last seven games. He's at 7.4 um, for the year. And last season was at 6.8, 6.1 the year before that, 6.7 the year before that. If he dips under seven, don't be surprised. 8.7 assists, assists versus 6.7, say, rest of season. Big difference. Sell him for any top 20 player. You might not be able to do it. But that is what you aim for. Otherwise, you enjoy what has happened. You love what we've got from Drew. And you write it out. But it's not going to stick at this level is my guess. Let's do this one. It's a delicate dance in just 17 steps. I think there are... I like Shangun, obviously. I think he's a really good player. I think he's got a really good future. I think that he is probably the closest thing to Jokic we've seen come into the league since Jokic. Not to say he's Jokic, because he is not. But there are people now thinking about him. Man, is he like a top five dynasty um, upside player? Like, I, I really don't think so. You're putting that level of lofty expectation on someone setting you up for failure. It, it is setting you up for gigantic failure. Um, I don't think we should view him that way. I had someone had sent a, a message to me the other day saying, hey, should I trade... Um, Darius Garland and get Shengun. Yeah, Shengun's got this top ten upside. I go, oh, I don't, I don't know that he does, and I like him a lot. And I always, I always don't like a guy that you know. When I had in the draft, I think I had him fifth or sixth in that draft class, right? I had him really high, so I was ahead of most people on him. And now I have to come back and push back and say, yeah, maybe settle down a bit with some of the valuations we're having here. He has been great. Finally, they said, let's play him minutes and play through him. I worry a little bit that the play through him is because Kevin Porter is out. And then when Kevin Porter comes back, Shangun's going to get frozen out. Because you can see one thing here. He averages 3.3 assists this season. He's at seven over the last two weeks. He's the 17th ranked player in categories and 16th in points. That's great. He's averaging 47 fantasy points versus 34 fantasy points. But he's also doing it by over doubling his assist rate. He's averaging 1.3 steals versus 0.8. That's not a Kevin Porter thing. That's a fluke thing. And then he's also shooting 68% from two. Huh? That's a big number. I, I I like him. I don't want to bank on him being a 68% two-point shooter. 60%? Sure. Absolutely, he could be a 60% two-point shooter. That is absolutely, totally, reasonably possible for him to do that. Averaging five assists? Why not? I guess he could do it. It makes sense. He's the best passer on this team. He's honestly the best player on this team. But there are a lot of things there that have all spiked at the same time, along with more minutes, with an absence of another player who dominates the ball that make me think, ooh, if I could get a top 20 player back, I would do it. If I could get a top 25 guy back, I don't know if I would, but if I could get a top 20 guy back, I would do it. I just don't I don't see the um the reliability of him being able to maintain this level of production. Yeah, that's 
that that's my concern is there's just so much that's happening here with Shangun at the moment that I love and I know that he can do, but I don't trust the Rockets and Porter and Green and Silas to allow this to happen at this level as we move forward. I think he can be a top 25 player dynasty-wise, maybe even this season. But yeah, I, I have some concerns about the overall um, sustainability of what's currently coming out. This one is obvious, but it's the one like the Tom Bryant one. It's Timothy John McConnell. Because, again, the, the, the copium slash hopium that people have are usually people who have him on their roster, so it can be hard to pull off. But we are probably getting Halliburton back in a week or so. And those people go, well, is, no, McConnell can get still get 26 a night, yeah, when Halliburton comes back. And my answer would be, yeah, look, he could. But we've also seen it for 35 games where he plays 16 minutes a night when Halliburton plays. So don't buy it. Now, McConnell's been an excellent ad, 23rd over the last two weeks in categories, 49th in points, averaging 38 fantasy points. But he's also doing the thing where he gets more minutes and he becomes somehow more efficient. He's shooting 52% from two for the year, and then he's shooting 61% over the last, you know, whatever it is, seven games. Do you know he hasn't missed a single three-pointer as a starter? He's 100% from three in the starts that he's had. He's only had one start. Actually, he's only one start of one game. Oh, yeah, he did. What am I talking about? He only started the one game, but he's shooting also 75% from three over the last seven games. Now, he is a bad three-point shooter. Josh, how can you be a bad three-point shooter if you're shooting 43% for the season? Because he never takes them. He's, you look at all of his career numbers, he's a low 30s guy. There is going to be a gigantic drop-off in three-point percentage. He's also at 1.9 steals versus 1.1. And as I just said earlier with OG, it's really hard to stabilize around two steals per game, especially when you're going to go back and play sub-20 minutes. Yes, if you trade him now, you will lose out. Guaranteed. You will lose out in the short term. But when we head to the All-Star break, we'll look back and go, hey, remember when TJ McConnell was good? I, f- I feel like that's going to happen. We'll hit them and go, man, TJ was good, yeah? Man, that was a great little run. And then you ended up getting a top 65 guy back and you're just cruising along with really strong value. It's very hard to do for a guy that is rolling that you know you're getting good enough. And it's very valid to just ride it out. If someone offers you nothing, which is very possible considering he's a waiver wire guy, they, you might get nothing back in a trade. Right? And in that case, you write it out. But it's always worth exploring. If someone goes, well, the, the, the offense runs so much better. Nempard can't get it done. They're going to shut Halliburton down. People might have these thoughts. And they might think they're actually getting a steal by getting him with, with for a top 75 player. They might think that. I don't. They could be right. But I don't think that. Let's go to the depressed penis, Sadiq Bey, who is 65th over the last two weeks, 64th in points leagues. What's actually happening here? How is he doing this? Because he has been... Well, he's had opportunities all season. He played 29 minutes a game, and he's not even in the top 150. So what is happening recently? Well, there's been players out. It's either Bogdanovich or Duran or Stewart or Hayes. Someone's out the whole time, enabling him to start. If they finally get a healthy lineup, does he start or Stewart? Now, I don't think either of those guys are long-term starters, but if I was coach, I would have done a lot of things differently. But I would actually start um, Bay over Stewart. I would. I don't think Bay's a particularly good player, but you know, I have the same thoughts about Isaiah Stewart. But does he start? Does he move back to the bench? He's averaging 35 fantasy points versus 24 for the season. His usage is up four percentage points from 21 to 25. He's also shooting 
He's got the reputation of being a shooter, and he's never really been a good shooter. He's at 38% from three, and he was at under 34 for the season. So there's a bump there, and he's playing five extra minutes a game. Now, you might look at this and go, well, if they trade Boyan Bogdanovic, which I don't think they do, then he will start. He'll play 33 minutes. He'll get 25 usage. And he'll be really solid, and that is totally possible. I don't really buy that. I don't think that he can maintain that level of shooting, all those minutes, all that scoring, or anything what he's doing. He's absolutely okay to have on your roster at the moment while he's going through this run. But if anyone wanted to give me a top 75 player for Sadiq Bay, I would snap it up. And the last one is something that is really interesting because people will, will criticize me all the time. And that's fine. I do this stuff in a public forum and I have comments and takes. A lot of them are right. Some of them are wrong. That happens. Right, but I've not been very convinced about Keegan Murray as, as an option in fantasy. And people will then look at this and go, well, look at this, Josh. In the last two weeks, he's 75th. He's 111th in point, points. You were wrong. He's figuring it out. Stupid. If you dropped him, it was dumb. Um, you know, he, he's, he's great now. And I look at this and go, wow, that, that is really good, actually. That, that is fantastic. He's averaging 27 fantasy points versus 22. He stepped it up. And I look at it, but I try to look at this stuff and go, this is literally what has happened and has it has been very good. And if you did happen to have him on your roster and you added him, well done, you got good production. But I look at it and go, okay, how real is it that he's a 47% three-point shooter? Like, it's not. It just, it just isn't. Now, he is shooting 42% from three for the season, which is obviously really good. But even that, I look at it and go, but is he actually a 42% guy moving forward? Could, could he have a stretch where he hits 37% from three for the next six weeks? Still very good, but a gigantic drop-off from where he is. And I look at it and go, yeah, quite possibly. But, I also go, well, how has he fueled a lot of this other stuff? Well, he's hitting 65% of his twos. And that, that is where I go, no way. Like, no way. It just isn't going to happen. You can look at his rankings and you can tell me that he's the 75th ranked player and you are 100% correct. You can look at him as being top 100 over the last month. And once again, you are 100% correct. But how did he get there? By being a three-point specialist with above average field goal percentage. That is how those numbers get there. And when those numbers, including 65% shooting from two, come back to 50, which is where he is for the season, well, then you go back to a guy who's the 140th ranked player for the season, who's an above average contributor in one category, and that's three-pointers. And that is it. Has he figured it out and improved? I don't know about figured it out, but he has he improved? Yes. Is there an ability to sustain this level of shooting? I'll go ahead and say no. I don't think we're going to see a rookie wing maintain a true shooting of 72% for the rest of the season. I think that's highly unrealistic to believe that. One thing that is interesting about him are the rebounds. He's at 4.3 early on in the year. Is it 7.3 at the moment? Okay. Is that real? Well, the big boost there came in two games. He had a 10-rebound game, then a 14-rebound game. And that really boosted those numbers up. So I don't know that he's that good of a rebounder. So I would use this as a great sell-high opportunity. People love rookies. People love rookies turning it around. People love the Kings. Their vibes are unbelievable. They've got the best vibes in the entire league. They're the most fun team in the league. Like the, Everything is great about them. People love it. And the narrative, and if you look and if you follow Kings reporters, you will see it. Keegan Murray's figured it out. Keegan Murray's turned it on. Keegan Murray was great again. Keegan Murray is great. Look at this rookie. He's dominating. And they'll say all those things. And they won't say, yeah, it's because he's shooting a completely unsustainable 65% from two with a true shooting of 72% on 47% from three, which as a statistical-minded person, which you are playing this game, you look at it and go, well, no way. Like, what are we talking about? There's no way that sticks. And he's still getting one assist, 0.3 steals, 0.4 blocks. 
And while shooting that well, he's still only at 15 points per game because his usage is under 15%. Look, that is, they are the red flags in terms of this overall production because I can guarantee you with Keegan Murray, there is going to be a shooting slump. It is going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I, I know that it's not going to stay as the greatest perimeter shooter in the NBA, which is where he currently is at the moment with a 72 true shooting. Like that's one of the best ever. It's just not going to stick. And you trying to work out a trade to get a top 80 player back, because people look at this, he's a rookie. He's only going to improve without understanding how the numbers get there or how the rank gets him there. You know, where, where these numbers are. Understanding how he gets there and whether there's reality attached to it. Like if he had all of a sudden became a 22% usage player and they minimized Herder and Fox and Sabonis took a step back and he started dishing assists and he was getting consistent defensives. That's like, okay, maybe he has figured it out. Maybe they're incorporating him more. But no, they're just not using him and he's shooting at an unreliable number that is going to come down. And that's how you go, oh, I'm not sure about that. But you don't always see looking in there. People love the simplicity of look at the rank. Look at where he's ranked. And that doesn't always tell us the full story. But I'd love for your guys' opinion on Keegan Murray or any of the other players that I've talked about here. How wrong am I? Can he sustain this stuff? Can any of these guys sustain or can they improve significantly in other areas? Let me know about all of these ones down in the comments below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.